0: She has been called education's public enemy number one, and though she's never gone to college when Norma Gabler speaks, the education establishment of the state of Texas listens.
1: If you went to a public school anywhere in America, there's a fair chance that some of your textbooks were made specifically for the state of Texas. This is the surprising history behind America's latest culture war. I'm Grace Lynch, host of the new audio documentary, Teaching Texas. Listen to Teaching Texas wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs)
0: I'll see you next I'm Jason Kander.
1: And I'm Grace Lynch.
0: And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi sadly could not join us today, but if you are craving a Ravi fix this week, we recommend you subscribe to WMN Politics Plus on Apple Podcasts. Our bonus segment this week is Ravi diving deep into the issue of school choice, what that really means, and the nuances of the arguments around it. As a reminder, subscribing to WMN Politics Plus gives you access to bonus content for our show and early access to episodes of grace's new show teaching texas which by the way grace tell the people about teaching texas which is by the way i'll say before you do uh is awesome and already uh like really really well received so tell the people about it
1: teaching texas is going really well it's very exciting for our majority 54 listeners the first episode is actually dropped in the feed Over the weekend. So, if you didn't listen to it immediately, I recommend you go back and listen to it. And episode two is now out. If you subscribe to WMN Politics Plus, you even get episode three, which is near and dear to my heart because it was a pretty wild experience. But the way Texas has dictated the nation's education at every turn has continued to surprise me and confound me. And the people that are involved in doing so are really fascinating. And we had just an absolute pleasure to speak to so many very rich characters. And Jason and I were talking right before the show about how, yeah, it makes sense that, like, Texas has such a big market that, like, of course, that they would maybe have an outsized impact on textbooks writ large. But I think the thing is, like, you'd still expect that influence to be dictated by academics or experts in any capacity (laughs) or, like, the publishing industry itself. Like, perhaps they have too much power but actually, it's these small town activists with no education background who are the ones dictating everything. And I think that the show you know, goes to great lengths to really paint holistic portraits of the people who did steer the ship for so long and kind of just how wild it is that they were even ever in the position to do that in the first place.
0: And not for nothing, uh, but in an audio format, it's always nice when you can feature a lot of just really, uh, I don't know, colorful voices. And I mean, yeah. it's a it's a show about Texas. I mean, so you're going to you're going to hear some distinct voices.
1: We've got a lot of slow talking Texans, which is great and has been yeah an absolute joy on my end. And I was talking um, to some folks who had listened to episode one and they're like, it's really great that you have Joan, who's this incredible um Former professor from Delaware, and she is an East Coaster, and just has a completely different cadence, a completely different <laughs> style. So you've got all these slow talking Texas men in this, you know, opening episode, and then she just comes in, going like, "All right, here's the deal," and just <laughs> kind of breaks, cuts through it, and breaks in in such a lovely way. And we've got in episode two some great archival tape, old um, William F. Buckley firing line episodes, old CBS segments. And then our, you know, protagonists for episodes one and two, Mel and Norma Gabler, their voices, their defenses of what they're doing. And that is just very rich and very fun from an audio perspective as well.
0: Well, that's awesome. As far as opening banter goes, with Ravi not here, I guess we can skip talking about the Buffalo Bills. uh, And I won't even talk about the Chiefs. I will just say uh, personal, like life bragging thing is that uh, my baseball team, the Kansas city hustlers last night won like the Kansas city area championship, uh, which was very cool as you.
1: Congratulations. That's huge.
0: You know, you came out last year and went to a game with the team I was playing on then. And it's a really cool thing because what I'll say about it as a grown man uh, who's 41 years old, the coolest thing about it, it's not just like obviously winning is great, but like it's a few buddies and I decided that we would go recruit from different parts of our lives, a bunch of friends who, you know, 20 years ago were really good baseball players, guys who played college, a few guys who played pro, but like we recruited people off the couch. And what ended up happening was two things. One, you know, we got off to a slow start, but eventually guys like got in shape and got going. And, and obviously we were able to win the whole thing. But the cooler part is we accidentally like started a fraternity of like, but not of like frat bros, like of, you know, men in their thirties and forties. Most of us have kids and it's like this really supportive group of men who like have become really tight friends over the summer. And like, mm-hmm. you know, as a grown man with kids, like, or I'm sure also as a grown woman, like it's really hard to make new friends. And so yeah. that's been like, the everybody agrees. Like that's the coolest part of it is having this now group of like over 20 guys that are like, just your really close friends in town and you know winning winning is cool too. We were down by four runs with six outs to go and we came back to win with our families there watching and stuff it was really cool
1: as if this needed a more wholesome twist than it already has for you to be like but the real trophy, his friendship
0: <laughs> it really is like literally one of the guys posted that on facebook this morning like the real the real trophy is like getting to know this great group of guys and so anyway and it was great like true was the bat boy so like our Aww. picture with the trophy like true standing there with me with his like number one you know up in the air his finger up in the air for number one and it was real cool so that's really um, great
1: congratulations thank well you. earned.
0: yeah it was it was cool so all right now uh with all that out of the way we should talk some trash so uh tell us about herschel walker
1: Ooh, so Herschel Walker is running for Senate in Georgia against Raphael Warnock, because as I'm sure people remember, Raphael Warnock won a special election. So he is only he doesn't get his normal six year term. So I'm sure plenty of our audience has heard some of the controversies around Herschel Walker, his like less than stellar Orations about a bad air in China, coming over to our air and all sorts of other fun blunders he's had along the way. But most recently, it has been reported that he paid for an ex-girlfriend's abortion a few decades ago. I think it was in the early 2000s. And that has sparked a whole nother wave of controversy.
0: Yeah, well, here's what I was trying to decide when I just when I knew that we were going to do this for talking trash. I was like, OK. How, like, because Ravi's always like, Jason, you got to embrace the fact that this is talking trash. Like, you can't bring any humanity to it. You know, I have this bad habit of being like, well, you know, I mean, I can kind of see how, and, you know, really what we're supposed to do here is take this guy who has lied about all sorts of things. Like, he's clearly been lying about the whole family man persona, like, for years. Like, he apparently went on Howard Stern many years ago and claimed he had slept with two women in his entire life. when he it turns out it has like children, four children with, like, by four different women. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the math I mean, doesn't
1: super add up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, they're unless it's, they're all immaculate conceptions. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like, so I, it got me thinking, I was like, okay. Cause I was thinking about him about um, people like this guy, J.R. Majewski, the, which who, I don't know if you followed that, the the congressional candidate in um, I think it's in Ohio uh, who. Yeah, he's in Toledo, who, you know, had served in the Air Force and, you know, been in in Qatar after 9-11, but had not deployed to Afghanistan, it turns out, but has spent the last many, many years claiming to be a a combat veteran of the war in Afghanistan and making up all sorts of outlandish claims. But the thing is, it's not like that guy made them up to run for Congress. He's clearly been telling those stories his whole life since, you know, the last 20 years and then became a, a candidate because he became politically active and then just kept doing it. And it feels like the same thing happened with Herschel Walker. And I don't know, it just got me thinking about how like everybody likes to say that career politicians are so full of it. I've, it just made me wonder, like, is everybody just full of it? Are we all just walking around in our lives telling ourselves a story that is totally untrue? And then sometimes those people end up running for something and then we realize, oh, it's not true. Like Herschel Walker seems to believe the scrap he's saying about his own personality and identity.
1: Another example of that is like Brian Williams, this whole scandal of like his story about the helicopter being shot at that, like none of that turned out to be true. And it's like, you're a news anchor, my man. Like,
0: well, your job is
1: to report the facts.
0: That's a really good example, because I don't know if you I know people have different opinions on Malcolm Gladwell, but he did a whole episode, I think maybe two episodes about that and tried to really get into whether or not brian williams was consciously aware that what he was saying wasn't true and like really made a very convincing case for the idea that by the time he got called out on it like he doesn't think brian williams it had morphed so much in his mind that he didn't realize what he was saying wasn't true. and i i i'm not saying that like herschel walker thought that he'd only slept with two women but like it's like they've adopted this identity of them. Anyway, again, no, see, I, I'm screwing up talking no, trash no, no, so no, badly. But so
1: I'm going to screw it up even further. And I promise I'm not going to make this entire episode about teaching Texas. However, it is <laughs> consuming my entire mental state these days is that what's so fascinating about many of the activists we spoke to is that their whole conceit for education is that, like, you decide how you want kids to feel about George Washington, for instance. And then you write textbooks to fit that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You don't just tell people what happened or relay facts. You first decide what the like value or moral lesson is, what the the feeling is associated with it. And to me, this is so similar of like we struggle to like grapple with like how we want to talk about ourselves, how we want to talk about our histories. And that debate is raging even more so today. And we get into that a lot as well on the show. But that. People do that on a personal level. What is their personal narrative? And they're like, who is the king of that if not Donald Trump? So, I mean, that is a total personal fabrication of the self. And no matter what people said about it or how much people pointed out that hypocrisy it never seemed to stick or land, which is how I also destroy talking trash, which is I try to make it meaningful, which is why I'm now asking you, Jason, if you think it matters at all that Herschel Walker has been caught in perhaps another very egregious lie or like some gross hypocrisy about his identity as the family man.
0: I think it is starting to matter. I mean, because implicit in the question is, are we at such a parliamentary place now where when people go and vote for the U.S. Senate they are largely voting based on what party they want to control the Senate and that's it, right? Um, I think like if Herschel Walker were running for governor or like any job where people thought he'd be in charge of some stuff, like executives, mayor, attorney general, it's just funny to think of him (laughs) running for attorney general. um, I think it would make a huge difference. I think it would be over. I think it would be disqualifying. But like people feel like what a senator does is just show up and push a button or like raise their hand and say, you know, they're like, I think people think any old hack can do it. And look, in some ways, people are not wrong. Um, But like, in terms of doing the very minimum, right, of the job, like show up, vote how somebody tells you to vote or whatever. But I think going back to the whole identity, like how Herschel Walker has this idea of who he is, and he just presents it, I do think we're getting to a point where, and I'm when I'm saying this, I'm thinking a bit about Todd Akin 10 years ago, where voters have an idea of who they are. And if he has gotten to the point where he has said so many things that make no sense, and I'm going to try not to go in like a I feel bad for him CTE football sort of direction here, because this is talking trash, but also said things that are so like untrue as to the point of being like really embarrassing, like this thing where he's just said over and over again how against abortion he is, but it turns out like he paid for one and then got the person a get well card, Um, which
1: uh, to embellish into talking trash for just a second, the handwriting.
0: Was that not the most
1: surprising part of the whole thing? It's, it's got a lot of flourish. It's very elaborate. It's a beautiful script. It reminds me a lot of
0: Donald Trump's handwriting actually. wait, Really? Well, in the sense that Trump's is just like, yeah, but, but it has, what it has in common is it's like, I'm going to write this enormous. And so it's like, it's, I'm, you will know that I wrote this. It's going to be, yeah. I'm going to take up the page.
1: The H takes up the whole bottom half of the card. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So I do think we're getting to a point where there will be some voters who are like, I don't want to be a person who votes for this person. Like, not like super conservatives, but like people who might lean that way are like, it is embarrassing to be a person who votes for this person and what does it say about me because i like to think of myself as like particularly for independence right i like to think of myself as somebody who votes for the candidate not the not uh the party but i really am leaning this direction and i'm a conservative independent it gets harder for them to vote that way and i think the result is either that they they don't vote for him like they show up and they don't vote for him or they just don't vote that that's how i think it seems to matter
1: i guess My follow-up question is that if we have listeners who are in Georgia and who are talking to their, you know, friends and relatives who probably are, like, not jazzed about the idea of voting for Warnock, but, like, maybe, yeah, not totally on board with Herschel either, it's like pointing out that hypocrisy within the Republican Party writ large or even within a candidate doesn't ever seem to really help in terms Mm -hmm. of swaying people. And so I'm wondering how do you – use this event or use these instances to help persuade people away from voting for Herschel Walker and just checking the box for the R because all he's going to do is show up and push a button. And how do you actually make it more about him, the person?
0: I so I actually think that despite all this, I still think the best argument against the guy is Dobbs. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's still just all the polling seems to show At the end of the day, the best argument is this guy's going to go there and vote for a a national abortion ban. And then if you are dealing with somebody who's independent minded at all, uh, then, you know, you're I think your other way to go is like if you want to use Herschel Walker specific points, it's like, look, this guy can't string a sentence together and doesn't seem to know where he is. So. Unless you're an enormous fan of Mitch McConnell, I don't know why you're going to vote for this guy, because this guy is just all he is is giving Mitch McConnell two votes like he's not going to do anything other than what he's told to do there because he doesn't know what he's doing. All right. All that said, this is talking trash. So let's like leave it on some trash talking. We are going to test whether or not it is damaging to have your own son come out and be like, this is not good. Don't vote for my dad, who who, by the way, shares your political views.
1: Yeah. Christian Walker, Herschel's son, who has campaigned for him in the past or at least like shown up to campaign events for him, who has endorsed his dad in other instances, who is like a conservative Gen Z social media guy is just going off right now about his dad being a really bad person that we should not elect to office and that apparently everyone in his family asked him not to do this and that no one wants him to run and that is pretty damning
0: the thing that really resonated with me is he's not like saying uh that because his dad has had all these missteps in the past and hasn't been a father that's present and has, you know, all this, what he's saying is like, you can make, like anybody can make all these mistakes and then you can go and you can rectify them. He's like, just don't lie about them. So like where he lost his son is he lied. Like his son seems to be saying like, hey, Cool. Like go out there and say all the stuff you're saying. I agree with all of it. But when people criticize you, you got to be like, yeah, I didn't do a good job. And he's offended that he's like, no, I'm a great dad. <laughs> like, Reasonable, reasonable to be upset, I think. All right. Uh, I, I guess what we should say is this, remains, uh, this race remains a toss up. Um, so- <laughs> right.
1: No, the <laughs> most devastating part of it is that the race is, ap- is a complete toss up. Five uh, thirty eights like aggregate of their polls has it as like, I think, like 46 out of 100 instances, uh, Herschel Walker wins.
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's a toss-up.
1: It's a total toss-up. And the fact that that's the case is really alarming. I will also say, should this go to a runoff, which seems likely, if it's going to be that close, I almost think that that makes it a better case scenario for Herschel Walker, because then it really will be about deciding the balance of the Senate oh, right. the, and potentially putting Mitch mcconnell as the senate majority leader and then i think people do kind of have the out to not really vote for the candidate but to vote for the party so Mm -hmm. we're in a precarious spot and it makes me nervous that it's actually only going to work in his favor unless warnock can get a clean win in the midterms
0: all right so if you're in georgia you got work to do grace we're going to talk about our sponsor everly well i've taken this test i don't think you have yet are there any foods where you are particularly worried that it's gonna tell you that, you know, your body doesn't really respond as well to that as you think it does?
1: I would be really devastated if cheese were taken off of my list of foods. I'm I'm that's my go-to snack. I love a little bit of cheese. It's become a real crutch for me.
0: Yeah, it's hard, right? But you need to know. Everly well has these at-home lab tests, and then they also add vitamins and supplements that can help you get the knowledge and support you need so you become a healthier you. Here's how it works. Everly Well ships products straight to you with everything needed in one package. To take your at-home lab test, simply collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label to mail your test back to a certified lab. Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in just days. Seriously, it's very easy. And you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide next steps.
1: And for listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off at-home lab tests at everlywell.com slash majority54. That's everlywell.com slash majority54 for 20% off your next at-home lab test. everlywell.com slash majority54.
0: Okay, so we're recording this on Yom Kippur. Now, I have never pretended to be the most observant Jew. For instance, you know, technically Yom Kippur started... At sundown last night. And as I have already mentioned, I was playing in a championship baseball game. I was supposed to start fasting if I was doing this correctly last night. I didn't. After the game, I ate. I also wasn't supposed to play baseball. And then this morning, I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm going to try and fast today until sundown. I'm going to try and do that. And so I am doing that with one exception, which is I am so used now to having my uh, AG1 in the morning. And I think, I think. God is all right with it. All right, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com majority. Again, that is athleticgreens.com majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Next topic, we're out of talking trash we're into serious stuff.
1: Yes, as people may know, the Supreme Court recently reconvened And this is being touted as possibly an even more consequential session of the Supreme Court than the last one, which is hard to believe but seems to be true in terms of threats to our democracy. There's two really big voting rights cases up, the first of which is out out of Alabama in which the state legislature gerrymandered their districts in a way that even though there's 27 percent of the population that is African-American, only one of seven districts would be majority minority and proportionally speaking there should be at least two and prior panels that have reviewed these maps have struck them down and the panel included two trump appointee judges and one clinton appointee judge who said this is racial gerrymandering you're packing all of your black voters into one district that's not allowed under the voting rights act and the supreme court has taken that up so that looks bleak the second one, which I'm going to just go through both of these, and then Jason, I want to hear your thoughts, feelings, and concerns. The second one is Moore versus Harper out of North Carolina, which kind of has broader legal implications than just the specific implementation of the Voting Rights Act as it, repl- as it applies to racial gerrymandering, and that the similarly gerrymandered districts of North Carolina were shot down by the state Supreme Court, saying that they were they too strongly favored Republicans, and. The folks representing the state legislature are arguing that the state Supreme Court actually doesn't have the authority to relitigate these maps. And they're claiming something called the independent state legislature legal theory, which I cannot wait for you to describe to us.
0: Okay, yeah. So let's start with uh, what what the uh, the originalists, the homies, whatever you call them. I don't know what the originies. It's not homies. I don't know. Uh, They call it ISL theory. That's what that's what the cool kids on the right. Anyway, that's what they call it. Uh, And what it says is that a state legislature's plans for new congressional districts are not overridable by a state Supreme Court's interpretations of its, and this is important, of its state's own constitution, including even if that state's constitution has specific provisions that limit partisan gerrymandering. So not just racial gerrymandering. And and that's important, right? Because, and this is important in both of these cases, is that for years... A lot of folks on the left, including shout out to Jerry Hebert at the Campaign Legal Center, who was my professor at uh, Georgetown Law for my favorite class there, election law, uh, had a lot to do with how I got excited about election law and ended up later running for secretary of state. He's argued many times in front of the Supreme Court, uh, unfortunately so far unsuccessfully, that uh, that you should be able to take partisan makeup into consideration when deciding whether something is is unfairly gerrymandered, right? But at the national level, that hasn't been adopted. The Supreme Court has never said, yes, you know, that there should be some legal way to keep it from happening where people just pack all the Dems or all the Republicans into one district. So it always has to be done around uh, racial gerrymandering lines, right? And so- State, state constitutions have, in some cases, had things added to them, amendments that say you can't gerrymander based on uh, partisanship so so that it can go one step farther. So what this does is it says that uh, a state Supreme Court cannot interpret those provisions against what a legislature has done, including even if it's like racial gerrymandering provisions. So they're basically just saying the state Supreme Court cannot Inter- interpret the state constitution in a way that overrides a state legislature's gerrymander or drawing of districts. And they, the, the way that they are making this argument is they're looking at a couple of places. They're looking in Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 of the Elections Clause of the U.S. Constitution, which says, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. And then later in Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, which is the part about presidential electors, it says, each state, shall, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. So basically, to make this simple, their argument is, look, the U.S. Constitution says that the legislature in the state does this. So that means the state Supreme Court can't have anything to say about it. Which is for for us to believe that what you have to believe is that what they actually were saying in the u.s constitution was that you know that whole checks and balances thing right yeah that we have throughout every other part of american government
1: all things
0: yeah like that like the real the real thing that like made it worth writing all this down in the first place uh like in this case it doesn't apply like and oh by the way We've been treating it as though it applies for like you know two hundred years, um, but uh, it turns out we were wrong. <laughs> like, and actually, when they wrote this, they actually meant that the state supreme court cannot say, "Wait a minute, legislature," with with regard to the way you draw legislative elections for your own jobs and for congressional jobs. That that's independent. You can't do anything about that.
1: Is there anywhere that it states what the state supreme court can or cannot review about its own state's laws.
0: Well, so that's the thing is for that you would go to like the Bill of Rights, which a lot of originalists would say, well, you know, anything that is not specifically in here right? Anything that's not specifically in the Constitution as a federal, uh, like, as as federal jurisdiction, all of that goes to the states. So again, now we're going against that, right? Because Because they, in every other regard, say, including, by the way, with elections, like, they love to say, like, I've literally had an argument with Chris Kobach about this at one point, they love to say that, hey, elections are run by states, elections are administered by states, the federal government can't do anything about how we run elections. So now they're saying, well, yeah, yeah. Elections are run by states, state legislatures, state Supreme right. Courts. No. Yeah. It's, but
1: state Supreme Courts are there to enforce the laws of the state.
0: Yeah. Like, it's mental jujitsu. You
1: can't you can't just take them out.
0: That's well, I mean, I, I know think... that
1: they're arguing that you can, but it just seems to me like an utterly wild argument to try to make.
0: It's going to be a real test of whether or not the U.S. Supreme Court has become, and I think we unfortunately know the answer to this, a place where they largely are not interpreting law. They are just finding ways to use the law to make partisan, you know, it's like an extension of of the Senate, uh, a Republican Senate at this point, right? And that's what it is. I mean, And so you've got Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh who have all made noises about liking ISL in some way or another. And then... Unfortunately, it comes down to like, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance that John Roberts looks at this and goes like, I don't think this is good for, you know, democracy continuing. Uh, But it comes down to Amy Coney Barrett, who is just, you know, an appointed senator who they put on the bench, in my opinion. Right. And so,
1: yeah, no one should hang their hat on her. I also will say that I'm pretty sure that early days of ISL were argued in Bush v. Gore, and she was a part of Bush's legal team that was arguing that case
0: this doesn't give me and, a ton of hope. So here's here's what you can have hope about, which is, I don't know all the details on this, but it seems that the conservative justices don't necessarily all have the same opinions about ISL. Like, it's not like they're either pro-ISL or, or against ISL. It's more like they all have different ways to get to this nefarious destination. And so the hope is, is that if you get something that supports it... It is pretty narrow and doesn't just make it where state legislatures, which, by the way, as somebody who spent some time in a state legislature, these are not the people we should have controlling our, or the fate of our democracy. Like, we, they're not sending their best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, would, I would love for you to explain this a bit more. Like Why is saying that a state Supreme Court couldn't weigh in on district maps or how an election is administered, how is that a threat to democracy? Like How are those two things connected?
0: Ah, okay. Because uh, first of all, when we look at any efforts to try and make gerrymandering not quite so horrendous, like there's a a few ways here, right? You've got You've got places around the country, like Michigan and others, who have put in independent redistricting commissions, right? And in order for an independent redistricting commission to, for its its judgments, its decisions to uh, continue to like be law, right? Like, let's say they're put in, like in Michigan, by a vote of the people, and and put into the state constitution, right? Well, the Supreme Court then, if the if the legislature decides, well, we're going to do our own map, and the state Supreme Court. says no, no no the constitution says these people do it right well if if the state legislature is independent and independently has this authority and it cannot be checked by anything else and it's exclusive authority then that means that this solution that we've all been leaning on in several states to actually preserve democracy and not have gerrymandering become more out of control and even rein it in that could be completely obliterated by this theory, if it's adopted by the Supreme Court, it would basically say that because an independent redistricting commission is not the state legislature, it can't do it, even if it's in the state constitution. Um, So that's really bad. Uh, And then why are they wanting to do that? It's a, a couple of reasons. I'll give you like the Missouri example. And then what I think is probably the North Carolina example, for instance. So like in Missouri, where our Secretary of State, my successor, um, Jay Ashcroft, son of John Ashcroft, uh, he is actually the first Secretary of State whose state is not involved in this to sign on to like an amicus brief saying, this is awesome. Well, why would Jay do that? Because he would do it because in Missouri, we have the nonpartisan court plan where judges are appointed. There, There's like a community uh, commission that picks three judges to go every time there's an opening they go to uh, the governor and then the governor has to pick one of the three so th- so it doesn't like get confirmed by the state senate it's it's you know nonpartisan and and so what happens is is that you end up with a, a Supreme Court and other courts where the the judges really are, they really are bound to the law. That you know, uh, there are conservatives in our state who would say, I'm sure Jay Ashcroft is one of them, that the Supreme Court of Missouri is liberal, right, or it's left of center, even though it the majority of the people on it have been appointed by Republicans. But it's it's not liberal. What it is is it's just people who they're doing their job. They they get it. They get on the bench and they consider what the law is and not like how it will affect things politically. So. If you are a Republican in Missouri, you and you like want to increase your power exponentially. Well, then you want the independent state legislature theory because you have a stranglehold on the already gerrymandered state legislature. And if the state Supreme Court now cannot come in and invalidate uh, your maps which currently they can do, well now you're in business right because you can just make it worse and worse and it compounds. Um, now if you're in North Carolina where or let's say Wisconsin where they elect their state Supreme Court, well, which is I think problematic anyway, but mm-hmm. you know they they have people who are not right wingers who have been elected to the court. And, and it's, you know, depends on sometimes what election cycle you have it in. It depends on what's going on at the time. But often I think what happens is, is people go like, I don't think I want like an activist on the court. I, and and so the people who tend to be more down the middle are the people who run and are like, I'm a judge. That's what I am. I've always been a judge. And, and so they don't want those people to be able to weigh in against them either. So it takes it out of their hands. Now, here's where it gets really scary. Are you ready? It gets really scary. Oh, we're not there yet? No, we're not there yet. Here's where it gets really scary. Um, the last time this legal argument was made in a really high profile way was by a guy named John Eastman, who you may remember as you know counsel in the White House, who was behind all the stuff to really undo democracy in one swoop by trying to get different electors in. And it was argued that way because there are people, it's not all of the people who are arguing for the independent state legislature theory, but there are plenty of people who believe that the logical extension of it is, is that if the state legislature is, because remember I cited those two clauses, one is the, uh, it has to do with drawing districts, the other has to do with electors. If you say that the state legislature has exclusive authority to uh, draw the districts, and you're basing it on the text of the US Constitution, it's not a far distance to say that the state legislature has the exclusive authority to choose the electors, which would take you back to how this worked, you know, in our very first elections for president where the vote of the people in the state is not what chose the electors, it was the vote of the state legislature, right? That was how people thought it was written originally. So that's where it could take us to a place where we win the electoral college We win, you know, somebody wins the Electoral College and they win the popular vote and they could win the whole thing. They could win it by a lot. And then like five states, their state legislatures that are controlled by the party that didn't win just says, no, 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 that's not who we're sending to the Electoral College. We're sending these people and we're, we have the exclusive authority to do that. And boom, you don't have the president that was elected by either the popular vote or the Electoral College. That's pretty scary.
1: That's very scary.
0: Now, I don't think – you know that, that would not be a ruling that would come out of this, but it would be it's, – it's similar to the way in Dobbs, the concurrence by Thomas talked about uh, same-sex marriage, right? Well, that's a huge red flag for everybody to go like, hey, that's clearly where they're going next. So it, it, a, a decision in favor of you know the, the people advocating for the legislature's theory in North Carolina – could set the stage for that, certainly. Which, by the way, would happen, it could easily happen in 24, right? Like we win the Electoral College and then North Carolina or some, a couple other legislatures decide Wisconsin,
1: like, Pennsylvania, Michigan, these places yeah, with Republican Arizona. held. Yeah, you can't yeah, we're win not, without that We're not those. sending
0: those people, we're sending these people and yeah. boom, now you've got Bush v. Gore, except it's just a different, uh, it's just a, a different subject and it's a, it's a different part of the constitution they're going over and you've got a a more heavily weighted toward the other side Supreme Court, and all that, and then they they go, oh well, but in this other North Carolina case, we accepted the independent state legislature theory, so we're just going to go with precedent, the independent state legislature theory, and then boom, like now we're all in Ravi's Catskill militia. <laughs> so you know, not to be so dark, but like that's that's the dangerous direction, and it's it's why the Senate really matters, and it's why what happens with Supreme Court seats really matters. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've probably heard us talk about our Helix mattresses, which we're obsessed with. And you probably also know that Helix has left the bedroom and has entered the living room with Form. You've probably also heard me talk about this blue uh, love seat uh, that we have, that we got from Allform that we love. And I would tell you that as Diana has recovered, which By the way, it's going very well, thanks to all the people who have asked. As she has been recovering over the last few weeks from breast cancer surgery, she has been spending a lot of time on that all form sofa because it's just like kind of the perfect length for somebody who's five, five and a half. I've been watching her sit on that couch and like, you know, work on stuff on her laptop and, you know, remind me of the things that need to be done because she's on a lifting restriction. So she's been very pleasant and she's been on the all form sofa uh, as she's recovered.
1: Allform's durable, high-quality sofa is so well-made that it offers a lifetime warranty option. If your sofa ever breaks down, you can repair it or replace it forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com majority54. Allform is offering 20% off all orders to our listeners at allform.com majority54. Step up your sofa game today.
0: I want to take a second to mention another show that you might like. If you need the news, but you also need to feel smarter and calmer, then you need to get in Andy Slavitt's Bubble. Andy is a former White House advisor and the ultimate outsider's insider. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Andy offers his access to leading experts. I'm thrilled that that's how he refers to his guests because I've been on that show twice and it was a delightful experience. Join Andy for discussions on COVID, gun violence, climate change, and more. In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt is available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I also want to get back to Alabama really quickly, but before we do that, how likely do you believe it is that they will vote in favor of the ISL theory being put forward by North Carolina and that it would be open enough of an interpretation and not just like excruciatingly narrow that it would have – that it would set up the potential for this ripple effect all adopts?
0: I feel like it's 50-50 um, because, and here's why I think it's 50-50. Um, it's a combination of the fact that I don't think everybody on the right, like the, you know, the, the judicial and legal conservative world, like Federalist Society, I don't think they all have the same. It's not that they, I think probably a lot of them would go for the independent state legislature theory because they're more about power, but I don't think they all have the same way to get there. I think that is a somewhat of a factor. I think if not for the fact that state judges all across the country, I think are going to really be against this. Then I would say it's a hundred percent going to be bad. I think the saving grace that makes it still possible is, is that, you know, these folks, Kavanaugh and others, I mean, they're, they're pretty much partisan hacks, but when they look in the mirror, they see a judge, they see a justice. And when they go to social events they really like walking in there and having the state judges be like, oh, there's a Supreme Court justice here. Like, they like that. I mean, I've seen it at a lower level, right? Like when you go to golf tournament fundraisers and it's all trial lawyers and defense lawyers there, and then a state trial judge walks in, people are very excited and the state judge gets treated. I mean, it's it's a little, I mean, we all have social circles and this is one that they've all come up in. Um, I do think the fact that this basically says that state Supreme court judges are like, don't matter. Uh, I think that, I think that could be a factor. I think it could, it could keep them from going all the way with it.
1: It's one instance in which the narratives we tell about ourselves, them saying like, I'm a justice, not just a partisan hack might actually help us out in this particular instance.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, uh, that's the saving grace. That's why that's what makes me feel like it's 50 50. Um, but if, if not for that, I'd be pretty. I mean, look, if you asked me a year ago, I'd be like, no, I don't think that they're going to do this. But in the wake of this last term of the Supreme Court, like these people are not on the side of democracy.
1: Okay. Now, what about Alabama? What's your okay. prognosis there?
0: Uh, not great. Um, so, you know, look, they've been trying to undo the Voting Rights Act. F- you know, what's left of it for a very long time. The Voting Rights Act basically says that uh, you like to put it in the most layman's terms, the heart of it was to go after um, was to go after the fact that in the South, particularly, but in not just in the South, there were jurisdictions where there were all sorts of things that were being done to dilute the minority vote. Right. And that's how we ended up with, uh, you know, these like these provisions that allowed things. For a very long time, we had like pre-clearance of the Justice Department so that if you were going to make changes to any voting laws in certain jurisdictions in the country, the Justice Department had to clear it ahead of time. That went out a few years ago when this wasn't renewed. And all of a sudden you saw all these new laws about photo ID and other voter suppression measures come in. Well, on top of that, they just want to get rid of any vestige of this so that they don't have to in any way consider race when they do this. Because remember... There's no precedent. There's nothing in case law that says that you have to consider partisanship. Right. So a a state can literally be like a place where, you know, 99 percent of the voters vote Democratic uh, in every election. But if if you have things gerrymandered in such a way and if you draw the lines in such a way, you know, like if the state is all white. There's no way you can go to the Supreme Court and say, hey, it is wrong that they drew districts that make it you know, five Republican districts and one Democratic district in the state that voted 99% Democratic. That's like an argument that's been rejected. However, because of the 14th Amendment and because of what is in the Voting Rights Act, what you can do is you can come in and you can say, hey they have diluted the vote of this population based on race by, you know, either packing them all into one district or, you know, or drawing lines where they sprinkle people into other districts so that they never end up having a majority vote. Now, we also know that uh, in a place like Alabama, um, look, race is not entirely a substitute for uh, partisanship or for partisan affiliation. But There's not a lot of black Republicans in Alabama, right? So, so they just use it for that, right? So, it, 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 so if, if they make it even harder, if they say, oh, well, you, you don't actually have to do much work to get an outcome that is fair. Now, in this case, 27% of Alabamians, Alabamans, 27% of people in Alabama uh, are black. Um, and now we're talking about what one in seven, I think, districts would be one in seven districts. Yeah. yeah. One in seven districts would Which I think, be
1: like works out to 14% representation. Yeah.
0: And look, like they have to work really hard to get that result. Like they have to use really advanced technology to draw lines in such a way uh, that you do that, particularly in Alabama, where it's not like, it's not like black folks are all in one place, right? Like um, they're spread out throughout Alabama. And so they had to work very hard to get that result. And so if, if it turns out, that what's left of the Voting Rights Act does not pre- preclude them from doing this. That's really damaging because the because now we've got a situation where let's say they do both. Now state supreme courts where they have state constitutions that say you can't partisan gerrymander, they don't matter anymore. And to some extent, uh, to a large extent, um, the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't even have a reason. Like they're not even going to look at racial gerrymandering hardly and say that you can't do that unless, you know, like I can't even imagine a situation where they would if they'll if they'll go with this Alabama decision. So what has to happen is we have to uh, we have to not get a truly catastrophic result on the independent state legislature theory. We have to be realistic about the fact that this Alabama thing is not going to be good for us. And then we have to um, do more and more states where we do get an independent redistricting commission that. If we don't take on too much water in the independent state legislature theory, then that would still matter. And we have to win elections. All right, for Grab Ore, um, as we head out of this episode where it's another one of the ones where you could easily leave it rather bummed out. I don't want you to do that. There, There is a fight happening on all these things. And democracy in this country is not over. It's not even close to over. It's just, you know, uh, in peril. Um, but you can go to letamericavote.org. Uh, that is the organization that I uh, founded a few years ago that now has merged with uh, End Citizens United. So it's Let America Vote and End Citizens United together. So you can go to letamericavote.org. You go to stopbigmoney.org, um, endcitizensunited.org. Any of those, they're going to get you basically to the same place. And you know what you have there is the largest pro-democracy political organization in the country, and that's where you want to aim your efforts. You can leave us a voicemail about some of the you know, anxiety that we may have caused in you this episode or just anything else. Uh, and that's at 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. You can also email us at m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. That's m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. I'm at Jason Cander on Instagram and Twitter. Grace is at Grace Lynch 8 on Twitter. And our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.
1: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by myself, Edie Allard, Adeswa Agbanile, and Sarah Schleed. The music provided by Kemet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Cander.
0: Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varva Lucas